help everyone understand what exactly were you feeling in those times as someone who was clinically depressed or is clinically depressed? Yeah. Because I think I get the feeling this year, out of any year, if anyone's going to understand a little bit of what you go through on a day-to-day basis, this year's been a tough year for everyone. I don't care what anyone says on any level, people have seen some dark spots. Run us through a little bit of what you feel in these moments and then what the bike does for you not the challenges per se but what you what the bike as a drug does for you releases yeah so like i guess the if i was to sort of if i was to i guess you know dot point them like the the sort of feelings i have it's like why am i doing what i'm doing like you know i don't really i don't want to be social anymore i'm you know the things i would normally enjoy catching up with mates or going out for dinner i just no i don't want to do that anymore like this I just want to be alone mm. and you know, now I can really, I can see those trigger points. Like I know when I'm going back down into a dark hole because little things like this, you know, not wanting to be social, not wanting to leave the house, not wanting to get out of bed in the morning, like just little trigger points like this. And I think, yeah, you're spot on. Like this year is a tough year for everyone. You know, there's people without jobs. There's people that this Christmas won't see families. There's people who have lost loved ones. And I think it's, there's probably a lot of people out there that are, are really suffering at the moment. And whether or not they realize, I think, you know, it's, yeah, it's super timely that we're, we're talking about it. For me, when I get on a bike, it's almost like an endorphin rush. It's almost like that sense of, high i used to get when i did take party drugs getting out that as corny as it sounds like the wind in your face or going around a corner or you know summiting a climb or just riding a new road whether it's you know two kilometers from home or 200 kilometers from home like it makes me feel like a kid again Mm. and i remember like as a kid like i I never used to worry about anything because there was nothing to ever worry about and the bike gives me that that sense of being a child again Mm. and i love that and i think you know the people i've spoken to that ride a bike even if they're not depressed they they can still relate to those same feelings of freedom yeah and i think it's nice you know whether it's you know freedom physically or freedom from your own mind i think it's yeah the bike allows us to get out and explore and offers a sense of freedom you just heard from jack ultra cyclist or jack thompson as he prefers to be called i thought it was a great episode if you haven't heard that episode that was a little sneak peek of what we chatted about last week over at the cycling podcast go across and listen to that i really really enjoyed chatting with jack because there was so many things so many similarities in mindset that i could relate to about what he does on the bike in his challenges and what I experience out in my races or even just in my in my training. And I'm almost gonna guarantee that everyone will get something out of that episode. So make sure you go across and listen to that. We've got Talking Luft coming up with him right now. But before we get into that, if you haven't already heard, I don't know what you've been doing, but the first official Life in the Peloton kit 
is coming. It's happening. I've sat down with Rafa and we've designed a kit. If the hats are anything to go off, you can imagine how awesome it is. Tomorrow, there's going to be a little sneak peek, so stay tuned on the socials and you'll be able to see that. But if you do want to get your hands on some, time is running out. You have to pre-order, and on the Friday the 12th, the order, the pre-orders are closing. How do you pre-order? You've got to go across and subscribe at lifeinthepeloton.com. Once you subscribe, you'll get an email from us with a link that will direct you across to the RCC and allow you to sign up there and allow you to put your pre-order in. That is crucial. That's the way it's all going to happen. If you do want to get your hands on some of that kit, just remember, subscribe at lifeinthepeloton.com. Once you get the email from us, click on the link and then register at RCC to get your first official kit. But Friday is a cutoff, so make sure you get on board because I know you're going to love the kit. But for now, we've got Talking Luft. Sit back and enjoy this one, guys. So here we are, Talking Luft, one week since the release. Actually, it's the first time I've ever done it like this. I thought it would be a good way to do it, but we recorded so long before that it was actually good to sort of touch base again after whatever it was, six weeks or, or probably two months now since we recorded. Yeah, so. I think it was just before Chrissy. Mm. We sat down we're talking about the, the first Chrissy in winter. It's good. I'm glad we had that time because I got to know you a bit more over that time and welcome to Talking Luft, mate. Yeah, looking forward to chatting. All right, well, let's get going. <clears throat> I don't know how much you know about Talking Luft, but what it is, is just some questions to sort of get to know you a little bit more than the pod. Yep. So first of all, we're talking about caps, cycling caps. How do you wear yours? The caskets. I should have one in here, actually. I almost wore mine. I almost brought it with me. Yeah. But then I thought, oh, no, we don't need the cap. Well, tell me about it. How would you have worn it today? I, I, I wouldn't wear it in public. I'm not one to wear the cycling cap in public, but I, like as in like casual clothes. But on the bike, I would say I'd wear it in wintertime and I'd probably pop the cap, pop the cap up. Pop mm. the front of the cap up. All right, wait, wait, wait. Let's one second. Hold the hold the phone. <laughs> All right, we're back. We're back. Tell me, tell me, and show me. Give me, go on. Give me your mic if you want. All right. Like this, and then I pop the little the visor up under the helmet. Visor up under the helmet, and Give then. Life in the pillow. And then I'd say when I'm riding, if it was raining, I'd pop the the peak down. Mm. But I think at the coffee shop, the, peak, the peak's got to be up. I feel like a bit of a knob wearing it if it's down like this. <laughs> Too serious. Okay, nice. All right, well, let's talk about the next question then. If you could have raced and you would have been watching the racing back then, just like me, when the guys used to race without helmets, if you could have raced back in those days, what would you have done? Would you have worn a cap just like that? Or would you have turned it around so it didn't get blown off your head? Or would you have gone and put a headband on? What would you have done in those days? I reckon I'd have gone full Pantani and rocked the head, like the, the Bandizi. Oh, the bandana. Yeah, the bandana. I've never said that. Yeah, <laughs> right. I remember actually when we were in Stelvio, we were at Stelvio, was it two years ago? And like you're looking up and down the shops and they got all the souvenirs and things and there was like a yellow bandana in the window. The Mercaturno Uno one. Yeah, yeah. I was tempted, huh? 
<laughs> just for shits and giggles. What you could have done on the what you when you were there on the Silvio doing the when Everest, we did the Everest, yeah. You should have done it. Could have done it. Could have done it. Did you wear a helmet when you do Everest? Thing? Yeah. Up, even climbing. Going up, I wore the helmet. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. We had them painted. Like we had one. The French one was painted as a French flag. The mm. Italy one, Italy, and the Spanish Catalan one, Spanish. Mm. Wow, nice. Yeah, but no, nah, you could have rocked the old bandana. Nice. All right, next one. All-time favourite cycling kit or and or team. So thinking about pro teams, what is the team that you looked at and went, I love their kit or I love their kit and I love their team? What was it for you? Who was it? For me, if I think back when I first started riding, there was this little shop close by and it was called Riding in Style. Mm. And it was when, like, when you used to wear team kit, and it was sort of quite cool to wear the team kit. Mm. And so I'm going to answer with Lotto Domo. Oh yeah, right. it's not not that old. The grey kit, you the mean? The grey one. Yeah, I think yeah. Cadell Evans was rocking it back in the day. Yeah, right. Robbie McKeown was on that yeah. team too. Yeah. Not my favourite looking kit, but I remember as a youngster, I was like, I love that kit. Like, I want that yeah. kit because no one else had it. And I remember they ordered it in, and I got it, and I was wearing it. Oh, cool. For that reason, I've got to stick with that one. Nice. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. All right. Favorite race. Maybe it's now for you something that you would love to have ridden one day or maybe it could be just a, a race that you have done that we might know about or maybe we don't know about. Let's let's put it in the context of if I was racing like yeah, on a professional scene. Yeah. I reckon one race I'd love to do just for like the heritage, Paris-Roubaix. Mm. Like the cobbles, like the whole atmosphere behind it. Mm. I've watched on YouTube some of the, um, it's like behind the scenes at Paris-Roubaix. Mm. And often like if I'm doing like a turbo session inside, I'll pop one of them on. And it's like, what's going on in the team car and all like mm. the stuff behind the scenes. And I reckon Paris-Roubaix is like one I'd like to like to give a nudge. I reckon it would suit you too. You reckon? Just a big seated power, you know, just... Yeah. And also the men, you've got the mentality of just, it's a long, hard day. Yeah. You know, you just nut it out. Have you ridden a mini cobblestones? Because you were racing in Belgium, weren't you? We did a little stint in Belgium, yeah. Like, yeah, we did like a little bit on cobbles, but like you've ridden with me, I'm not the best descender in the world, so maybe Paris-Roubaix would suit me because it's not a lot of downhill. No. But then again, maybe the cobbles will catch me out. Well, if they're dry, maybe not. But if they're wet, yeah, I don't know many guys that are good on it. Apart from the cyclocross guys, you know, they're just yeah super slippery. All right, next question: crosswinds or mountains? For me, mountains. Yeah, yeah, I, I quite like being in the mountains. Like, I don't know that sort of like reward when you get to the top, you get the descent down, and mm. crosswinds is. It's never much fun riding into a headwind or a crosswind. Yeah. I much prefer that sort of like solitude of going up and, you know, like you're working your way up. The, depending how high you get, the trees change, everything changes when you get to the top of a mountain and then you get the reward of coming down. So definitely mountains. Training or racing? Training. Hmm. If I never like competed and like completed an event again... I still love to train. I think for me, training is what like keeps the head turned on, and yeah, I like. So I've said before, like I like just ticking that box. You know, like you go out and you get a good day done, you get home, and you're like, yeah, I've had a good day. Like I enjoy that. Mm. The event itself, I find, is always like a bit of a fizzog. Mm. Like maybe you achieve what you set out to achieve, but it's like oh, all that training just for that, mm. and it's sort of it's over so quickly, and then you sort of get those like post ride blues where you 
a little bit down, like, oh, you know, it's over now. What's next? And yeah. So for me, the training. When you're in those events, are you thinking sometimes, like, because I, I actually find this is that when I'm doing, like, when I'm training towards something, in the training time, I'm thinking about the event. So I'm always thinking ahead. Yeah. And then in the event, I'm thinking about the off period after the event. Like and the sort of time off enjoyment. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. this is going to be so, like, for instance, this is going to be so good when I finally get to, let's use Roubaix as an example. Oh, it's yeah. going to be so good when I had Roubaix and I'm doing all the training. Oh, I'm looking forward to Roubaix. Yeah. I'm in Roubaix. The thing I've been looking forward to for so long and suddenly I'm like, oh God, it's going to be so good when this is done. Yeah. And then again, it keeps going. You finish it and you've been looking forward to this moment that's pushed you through a hard race or a grand tour or whatever. And then you're in the final like recovery period and you're like, oh, when's the next, you know, I'm looking yeah. forward to getting back training. It's like, stop and just smell the roses. Enjoy it's it. Weird, but you never do. Like, And I found like everything I've ever done, when I get to the finish of it, I'm like, I'm already thinking about the next thing. Like, I already want to move on and I never really appreciate, like, wow, look what I've just achieved. It's like, oh, what's next, you know? Like, it's always what's next. Yeah, so <laughs> it frustrates me. All right, sorry, we uh, sidetracked there. Are you a coffee stop guy? Or, and if you do stop, what do you get when you stop here in Spain? All right, definitely a coffee stop guy, especially on a long ride, but it's got to be after halfway. Mm. So I know, like, when we've been out, like if it's six or seven hours, it's always after four. It's never after two and a half. So like, yeah, definitely coffee stop guy. Um, I like a good old cafe con leche or yeah. like a flat white and like a bocadillo. So like a sandwich with egg and cheese and then maybe something sweet afterwards, like a little chocolate croissant or yeah, just something. I've got a bit of a phobia with eggs. Oh yeah. Like I actually don't really like the taste of eggs. Wow. And so, like, if I have eggs, it's got to be with cheese. So then afterwards, I have to have something to get the taste of egg out of my mouth. Why do you bother with egg then? I don't know. Like, I like the flavor if I put a lot of salt and pepper on it. And obviously, there's, like, nutritionally, it's quite a good good food. Mm. But I have, like, a bit of a love-hate relationship with eggs. So anyone that knows me, like, if I cook eggs at home... I've got to wash it all with cold water. Like, I can't stand the smell of egg. Oh, my God. It's a bit of a funny, funny so, thing. So, have you actually got, when you go out and order, a, uh, like, a bock with a tortilla, have they forgot to put the cheese in sometimes or something like that? Yeah, and then I'll have to hammer it with salt. <laughs> I'm not a fan of just plain egg, eh? Why don't you just order ham and cheese? I could do. <laughs> the next oh. box stop, ham and cheese. Next one. You already sort of talked about it. What coffee do you drink? Are you just a coffee and milk guy the whole day? Or do you have like espressos? Do you have like a long black when you're at home? Do you have a yeah, big pot yeah. of filter? What's your coffee story? So in the morning, I'd normally like morning routine, wake up, big glass of water, and then I'll put the coffee on in one of those mockers. Mm. So, you know, those little Italian water pots. Yeah. Yep. And then I'll have... Now, what do you have? Like a four cupper or... I think no, I've got like a twelve. I think it's a, they say it's a twelve cup. Oh, you're one of the big boys. But I reckon it's like twelve espressos. Yeah, right. Because I get two cups out of it, so Strong. I have yeah, <laughs> two of those with a little bit. Of, I put almond milk in the morning because oh. it's a little bit sweeter, just a little bit. Then if I'm riding, I'll have yeah, probably a cafe con leche. Mm. And then in the afternoon, if I have a brew, it'll be an espresso. No, a cortado or a long black. Right. What yeah. time would that be? When do you sort of cut it off? 
I reckon five. Do you have like a limit? You're like, oh, nah. Not really, hey. Okay. It's more like if I'm in the mood, like, oh, if I feel like a coffee or I'm catching up with a mate, I'll have one with it at any time. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't feel it like gives, doesn't give me a whole lot of buzz. Yeah, right. It's not going to catch you out. Yeah. Yeah. All right, next one. Favorite drink, poison. What is your go-to? Are we talking alcoholic drinks? Could be. Or could be that, or it could be just, you know what, a, a ice cold electrolyte. <laughs> or <Well, laughs> it, could it could be a really great sparkling water. I don't know. What, I don't know. What, when you think of drink, what is it for you? Yeah. What do you look forward to? So here in Spain, I've, I've found myself, I've developed this habit. Like, I love the taste of beer. And mm. I'm not ashamed to talk about it. I love the taste of beer, but I don't necessarily want the alcohol. Mm-hmm. So my general routine is in the afternoon before dinner maybe six o'clock seven o'clock i'll serve myself up like a little thing of salty chippies Mm. and then i'll have a couple of alcohol free beers Mm. one because i actually like the taste and the range here is pretty good so Mm. there's five or six or seven different type of alcohol free beers you can get have you got like a top five the heineken zero zero is bloody good heineken wow i didn't think you'd say that freedom so it's like, you know, Vault Dam? Oh, yeah. They, they do like an alcohol-free one. Okay. Then there's um, Moritz, oh, the yeah. Barcelona. Moritz, they'd be the top three, I'd say. And they're all like a bit different. One's like a little bit more toasted. Mm. So it's like a bit amberish. But I reckon in Oz, the alcohol-free beers, like the pickings are pretty slim. Mm. So here, it's almost like they've almost gone a bit crafty with alcohol beers so i'm all for it so alcohol free beers is the answer <laughs> nice okay nice i like it are you train with a group or train alone most of the training i do alone yeah yeah like I, I enjoy getting out with you for a spin or like with yeah. a couple of guys but i think because a lot of my events are i do alone i sort of value the time like yeah. just trying to get into my own head and yeah I don't mind training alone. Like I quite enjoy it. Mm. Then I get home and I'll catch up with a mate in the afternoon. So mm. I'd say, yeah, 90% alone, then maybe 10% with, with a small group. Yeah. All right. Nice. Favorite training loop. I reckon you might have a good one for this. You would have done a few loops out there and run us through what mm. that loop is. Is it something back in Oz? Is it something over here? Where is it? What is it? It would definitely be something here. Back in Perth, the, the roads are... There's good roads, but it's not great riding. So I'd say that it'd definitely be here. Have you heard of that? Sorry to interrupt. Have you heard of that loop that Durbo does, the Death Valley loop? Death Valley loop. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty tough, actually, because yeah. like, the roads are super like coarse bitumen. So it's like shakes you to bits and it's always hot out there. And Have you ever, There's a guy apparently who did double death. And What's he, this one? Yeah, a double death valley. Double death, yeah? yeah? Is it possible? Crazy bastard. Yeah. Well, I was saying someone's got to go for the hat trick. I reckon you're the man. I reckon Durbo's the man back in us. <laughs> you and him, that could be a challenge. Could be a challenge. Hat trick death. All right, tell me about yours. Mm. I actually, so there's, you've got Suscada Dam here, which is the main sort of dam that people ride to. Yeah. And then there's actually another dam, and I forget the name of it, a little bit further north north of Figueres. Oh, yeah. So if you go out basically from Girona out towards um, Matadeo mm-hmm. and then you keep going north up to the French border, yep. there's this other dam up there which is, it's almost like you're on the moon a little bit to climb up to it and then you descend down into the dam and again, it's like you're on the moon. 
for me, that that's a bit of a favourite because there's never anyone out there. It's super quiet, mm. and there's this there's this. I don't know if it's a guest house or a restaurant or something, but it's like this old Western barn looking thing. Oh yeah, yeah. And it makes me feel like I'm in in the US. Like yeah. I don't know, I'm in Vegas or something, like an old <laughs> Western barn. So basically, yeah, past Matadeo, not up it, up to that northern dam, and then depending how you're feeling, like loop up into France, mm-hmm. and then come back, sort of those. I don't know what you call it. Is it Emporta? The yep. Emporta region. Oh, you come back on the on the flat side. On the, the flat coast. side, yeah, yeah. right. That a that's a ripper, and it's one that I reckon I don't do often enough. So whenever I go and do it, I get home and I'm like, damn, I need to ride that more often. But it actually keeps it fresh all the time, yeah. you know, because there's a million loops around here. Yeah. But actually, I'm finding at the moment, I'm starting to get pretty worn out on really nice loops. And you're like, what's yeah. wrong with me? But because you ride them too much. Yeah, and you take it for granted. You're like, oh, just another loop up Hillary. And it's yeah. like, Hillary's bloody awesome. It's like, you get exactly. complacent now. Yeah. All right. Best bike, what's been your favorite machine over these years and what's something that you would go, you know what, that is that is the machine I want to have. All right. <clears throat> so the best bike I've, I've ridden is the Tarmac SL7 by Specialized. Oh, yeah, Specialized, yeah. But I've actually just ordered a new bike through Specialized. So I've got a, it's the Roubaix. Oh, yeah. Um, wow, here the, we go. Yeah, well, yeah, getting ready, you mate. spoke about <laughs> Roubaix before, yeah. 2022. <laughs> Uh, so it's the Roubaix, but the, the team edition. So it's slightly lower at the front end. Yeah, right. And um, for me, what I, I've been riding the Diverge a lot on the road. What I love about it is the future shock at the front. So that little bit of it's almost suspension. A, oh, yeah. It's like a little shock absorber. You huh. can turn it on or off. Uh, the geometry suits me super well. In the wind tunnel, it's fast. Like it ticks all the boxes. Clearance to wide tyres. Why are there a shock on there? Is this the Roubaix version or the other one? This is the Roubaix. Oh, they've got the shock on there for Roubaix. So basically, there's the specialised Roubaix is the, the model. Oh, yeah. And then the Roubaix has this future shock, which like my gravel bike, the Diverge, also has the future shock. Oh. So like if I'm descending or if it gets rough or I want to go and explore a bit, I just you know turn the suspension on and you get like a little, it's like two centimetres of wow. suspension. Huh. I don't notice it when I'm on the road, um, but for me, it's like the do-everything bike. So, yeah, that I haven't ridden it yet, so I can't say that's my favourite bike. Yeah, so you've said three bikes. What is it? The bike I've ridden, the Tarmac SL7. Right. Fast. Because it's fast. Yeah. Pretty comfy. It's not too harsh. No, it's fast, comfy. This is the bike I did the world record on. Mm. So, like, I've got a bit of love for the bike. Do you still have that bike you did the world record on? Still got it, yeah. Yeah. That's yours? Yep. Oh, nice. Yeah. I reckon you might have a good one of these. War Story. And to give a bit of background in case people don't know or you don't know what it is, it's it's a story and you know these days, these moments when you've just been, it just comes to you like, oh. Yeah, I already know it. Like, I already know. know it. All right, go. Tell me. So it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a long, not a long-winded one, but like there's a bit of a build to it. But I think you'll appreciate the build. Okay. So like I'm in, I'm in China. So I did a trip one year where I where I bike packed from Chengdu in central China down to Laos and basically through the Himalayas. Just went alone with the bags on the back of the bike and you know basically had a couple of hundred k's to do a day, 150 200k to do a day. And anyway, I arrived in this I sort of like get in like the moment because it's like takes me back. Yeah. I arrived in this ancient city one afternoon and I didn't finish super late it would have been about 4 p.m and the funny thing in China is 
every time you check into a hotel, they take your passport and it's almost like they register where you are on the system. So I've checked into the hotel and the lady's translated on Google Translate. She said, oh, you need to go to the police station today. And I've, I'd been told, you know, that police were checking up where you were. They'd like to know where you are in the country. Anyway. You, you specifically or just people who travel? Just foreigners oh, okay. in China, yeah. And the funny thing is like the GPS in China is always a bit off. It's never like on the road. So yeah. anyway, that, I digress. I got on the back of the lady from the hotel scooter. So I quickly thrown my bike in the room, put on like a pair of running shorts and a singlet, which was the clothes I had and a pair of double pluggers and hopped on the back of the scooter. She's whizzed me down to the police station and I got to the police station, went inside and they literally grabbed me and put me in a cell. So first thought is like, what the hell's going on here? You know, like I'm shitting myself because I'm in the middle of China. I'm, yeah. You know, I don't know what's going on. I don't speak Chinese. Police chiefs come in, like a couple of other people have come into the room and they're sort of like interrogating me, asking wow. me questions. And I couldn't tell what was going on because I didn't speak didn't speak Chinese. And anyway, it's building, building, building. And I'm, I thought, yeah, I'm going to end up in this prison. Anyway, the police chief got his, uh, his wife on the on the phone who was an, happened to be an English teacher. So she was talking to me in English saying, oh, what are you doing in China? Like, you've got cameras, what are you, you, know, what are you doing here? And they thought I was a spy trying to get into Tibet. <laughs> so I explained to her, no, I'm not a spy. Like, I've, I've got a route planned all the way into Laos. I've got flights booked from Laos. And, yeah. You know. So she said to me, okay, pass the phone back to the husband. The husband sort of saying, oh, okay, sorry, sorry. Anyway, he's let me out of the cell, and I think he's felt a bit guilty that he's he's got me in there. And he's typed into his phone in Google Translate, um, like, "Are you hungry?" Oh yeah. And I've written back, "Yeah, I'm fucking starving. I've mean, like, been yeah. stuck in the cell for a while." And he's he's written back. He said, "Oh, do you want to have dinner with me?" So I thought, "Yeah, well, why not? You know, he's <laughs> locked me up, and then he's going to take me for dinner." Turn of events. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, went in Rome. So yeah. um, then this is where it gets really weird, like more weird. A four-wheel drive rocks up, like a black four-wheel drive. Here we go. And out of another room in the sort of like police compound, a guy comes out with a brown box. And it's like, I remember there was two of them and they were heavily wrapped in like duct tape. Yeah. And I thought, oh God, like they couldn't get me as a spy. They're going to try and get me as a drug mule. Yeah. And my heart's thumping and I'm there and I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Like, I just want to call my mum. Yeah. And, um... I've just got into the back of this four-wheel drive. These brown boxes are sitting next to me. Policeman's hopped in the front seat and we've taken off. I don't know what I was thinking. I was scared. Anyway, we were driving for a little bit. We got to like a little alleyway. The car stopped and I remember there was this just red door. It just sticked clearly in my mind. The policeman sort of signalled for me to get out. And I thought, oh, I'm not touching these boxes. Like, I don't want fingerprints. Like, everything's going through my mind. I've got out of the car... He's got out and I've sort of, you know, sort of given it to him to get the boxes. Yeah. He's grabbed the boxes. He's pointed to the red door. We've gone in up a flight of stairs and we get up to this top, you know, the first level up the flight. And um, there's a group of people sitting around a glass table like with one of those, what do they call it? The little serving that you spin around. Mm, like a lazy Susan. Like a lazy Susan. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> it's sort of like a restaurant. <laughs> Next minute, I hear, like, the policeman's ripping open these boxes and I'm just expecting powder to go everywhere. <laughs> you know, like, I've got the worst things in my mind. Hollywood movie. What, yeah. do, you, what do you reckon comes out of the boxes? Dumplings? Mate, two six-packs of Belgian beers. Oh, what? 
and he's written onto his little translation app, I prefer the Belgian beers over the Chinese beers. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up, like, we spent the night, like, drinking and drinking this sort of, like, almost like sake as well with these beers. Can Had you dinner. remember the beers? I think they were Vendette. Vendette, yeah, Vendette, yeah Vendette. nice. Yeah. And then Vendette's here. Vendette's Vendette's here. Like that? Yeah, it was like this. Yeah. We ended up at karaoke afterwards. Oh my god. And he dropped me home in like his private car and like the next morning got up, was on the bike and off. <laughs> and it was like a dream. It was crazy. So yeah. What a story. Wasn't a date on the bike, but like as a result of where I was from the bike, that's the war story. Mate. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, Alright, well next question is um cheat meal. Oh. What is your cheat meal when you come back from these big days? What's something you go to? You told me the other day when we got back from Big Day, you go, look, I'm going to have the double toasted sandwich. Is that the cheat meal? Nah, that's not a cheat meal. That's yeah. like a pretty healthy... I'd say that's one of the healthier meals. Yeah, okay. I love... Um, I do love a pizza. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Like, after a big day, like, I'll always get home and, like, do the proper nutrition thing and, you know, tick that box. But then, like, I'll lay on the couch for a bit and, you know, when you can't be bothered cooking, you're like, what can I eat? It's always, like, I'll order a pizza. Mm. And here, like, I love the... They do the anchovy, just, like, literally just anchovy, cheese, tomato, super salty. Mm. Like, that's the go-to. Like, a family size one of those, it's, like, heaven. (laughs) A couple of alcohol-free beers. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, tell me about this then. Last question. What is the best thing about riding a bike? Uh, the best thing for me, it's just the way it makes me feel like I, yeah, I've suffered from depression and I still am up and down in days, but like if I get on a bike and I have a good day, like that sensation of, oh, I've just like completed a ride, whether it's alone or with mates, like I've just ticked that off the list. I've felt good on the bike. Like, yeah, it's just that mental clarity I get afterwards. So yeah, definitely related back to how I feel. Awesome, mate. Well, thanks for being on Talking Loft. No, thanks for having me. Cheers. There we have it. I hope you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed chatting with him. It was about six or eight weeks later. Great to catch up with him again. He's a great guy. I've been training with him a little bit as well. So it was fantastic to have him back on the podcast. I do have a bit of a shout out this week. I've got a shout out to Creators of Craft. More specifically, Kate and Graham. Those guys are awesome. This is not a plug. This is just a thank you. Those guys just went out of their way. They said, you know what? I know you love beer, Mitch. We're going to send you a box. And they sent me a box of beautiful hand-selected craft beer. Go across and check out their website, curatorsofcraft.co.uk, and check out what they're doing. The sample that they sent me is anything to go off. They know their beer. And it was beautiful. So thanks, guys. Really, really appreciated that. Guys, once again, just to remind you, this Friday is the cutoff, so get across to lifeinthepeloton.com, subscribe, get across then to RCC, register, and get yourself some kid. Until then, next week I've got another episode coming up on the Cycling Podcast. So guys, thanks for listening.